Amen. Good morning. I, I do want to encourage you. Let's keep praying um, for the Free family, uh, for Turkey, um, and just seeing how the Lord might move us to um, support those in Turkey who are hurting right now. Um, we have an opportunity to do that, as Austin said. So this morning, we're actually going to continue this series on Judges, the horror and hope um, of humanity. And looking at this, last week we looked at how um, really Israel was on a downward spiral. They weren't doing very well. Um, they started out okay, uh, ended up pretty miserable, pretty horrible. And I told you last week in the book of Judges, when you begin to read it, there's really two introductions. The first chapter is really how um, the people are seeing things happening. Uh, the second chapter is more a view through the lens of God and what he sees. So the things that happen in chapter one are really kind of what we see how God um, is dealing with them in chapter two. And so um, when you think about that, just keep that in mind. Last week we started with chapter two and we saw how this downward spiral happened with Israel. That after Joshua, um, who was leading them, after he passed and that generation passed, they really went into this, this place of, of turning their back on God. And the book of Judges will show you just a downward spiral all the way through. Today we want to jump back to chapter 1, and we're going to pick up on um, this really theme of them not uh, doing very well, not obeying the Lord, not really doing what God has called them to do and to be. And, and I hope this today would be encouraging to us, but I hope it's also challenging. I hope today that whatever we walked in here that is hindering us from coming to a, a knowing of God, not an intellectual knowledge, but an experiential knowledge of God, um, whatever it is that's hindering that, that we would be able to lay those things down, that we would be able to empty ourselves even of ourselves, and to be filled again with God's Spirit. And so I want to read the first 18 verses there in Judges chapter 1. And then I want to pray we'll get into the message. It says in Judges 1, 1, it says, After the death of Joshua, when you see something like that, it mentions the death of Moses at the beginning of the book of Joshua. It's signaling a transition. Things are shifting. It says, The Israelites asked the Lord, Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. The men of Judah then said to the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. Now, Paul's right here. Who did God tell to go up first? Not a trick question, right? Judah. What did they do? They turned around and said, hey, Simeon, come with us. And these are the different tribes of Israel. God has allotted them land. And so did they do what God told them to do? Partially, right? They went up, but they also asked the Simeonites, the Simeon, that tribe, to go with them. So keep that in mind. So when Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem also and took it. 
They put the city to the sword and set it on fire. After that, Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev in the western foothills. They advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron, formerly called Kariath Arba, and defeated Sheshai, Ahimon, and Tamai. From there, they advanced against the people living in Debur, formerly called Kariath Sefer. Now, pause just a second as we keep reading. I want you to understand this. They're talking about all these towns, all these places, all these areas that the Israelites are driving the Canaanites out. The Canaanites were different groups of people, but they all lived in the promised land. This is the land that God said he would give Israel. He's trying to push out these other nations or wants them to push them out. He promises to do this for them if they'll just be obedient. The reason for that is he wants them to be people who are set apart for him. He doesn't want them to end up being um, drawn into idol worship, which is what we saw last week in chapter 2. We saw where they're drawn away to worship the pagan gods rather than the one true God. And so when you see this, keep that in mind, that this is for their good that they completely drive out the people to set it up so that they are not drawn away. God knows their heart. God knows their tendency. God knows they're susceptible to this. And so he says, I want you to drive them out completely so that you don't fall into these traps. It says, and Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kariah Sefer. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. If you go back and spend a little time on that, you'll realize there's not a lot of branches on that family tree. Um, one day, when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. The descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite, went up from the city of Palms with the people of Judah to live among the inhabitants of the desert of Judah and in the Negev near Arad. Then the men of Judah went with the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, and attacked the Canaanites living in Zephath and totally destroyed the city. Therefore, it was called Hormah. Judah also took Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, each city with its territory. Now listen to this. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots filled with iron. And so let's pray. We'll get into it. Lord, thank you for your word. It's truth, Lord. I pray today that we would leave here Filled once again with your spirit. Your word tells us to be being filled. Not a one-time thing, but God, this consistent filling that we can be raised up to be judges in our day, to point people to the deliverer, the savior, God, and that we wouldn't settle for partial victories. We wouldn't settle for partial obedience, but God, we would walk in and do everything you've put us here for. Draw our hearts close to you. Thank you that we can run to you. Thank you that we can come boldly before your throne of grace. Would you please, God, move in our hearts today as we surrender our lives to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of y'all do things or people do things that you get mad at, but then pretty quickly you turn around and do the same thing? Anybody do that? For example... How many of you get mad when the person in front of you starts to slow down and they turn, but they never turn their blinker on? Does that bother anybody else? Bothers me. Yes. 
Yeah, y'all should be better drivers. But then what happens? A little while later, I take a turn. I didn't turn my blinker on. I realize I'm like, ooh, okay. How about this? I know none of you look at your phone in the car, right? But how many of you have ever been sitting behind someone at a red light? The light goes from red to green, and they continue to sit there. That bother anybody else, especially when you leave the church and you go down here and you take a left to the bypass because there's a little secret about that light. As soon as it turns green, you better floor it or you're not getting under it. And people are sitting there, you know, looking at their phone while they're at the red light. And they're sitting there and I'm watching and I just, the top of my head wants to blow off. And then a little while later, guess what I do? I'm, oh man, I'm that person now. One of the things that drives me crazy is to go to the gym and you're waiting on a piece of equipment and there's somebody sitting on that piece of equipment on their phone for like five minutes. I'm like, what the heck? And then you finally get that piece of equipment and you get a really important text and you just sit there, right? So we, we do things that we get mad at other people. Sometimes we don't recognize those things in ourselves, it's easy to do. And as we've talked about the Israelites, these, these Jewish people, the people that God had carved out for himself that would one day bring the Messiah, Jesus, into the world, he carved these people out for himself, his own people. And we look at them and we watch them fall into this apostasy. They're turning from the one true God and they're turning to these idols, these pagan gods. And we watch this and we wonder how could they do that? How could they do that? But what we don't realize is that we are very much like the Israelites. We are very much like the Israelites. That we can be so quick to turn our backs to God. We can be so quick to be taken away from God. And this is the problem that we need to really look at today. Why is it? Listen. Why is it that we as believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, why is it that we as believers oftentimes live more like the Israelites than we do like the judges? Right? Because think about this. The difference is this. God raised up the judges to deliver, to take ground, to do his work. When the Israelites stumbled, those judges, they were raised up in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they achieved incredible feats, right? They were insanely effective for the kingdom of God. And we looked at last week how those imperfect judges pointed us to the perfect judge who would come one day. And he, too, was anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he, too, took ground. It wasn't just physical ground. He calls us to go into the world and fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. But he also won a spiritual victory. And when he won that spiritual victory, he gave us through faith righteousness to make us right. All those sins taken away because he put them on himself at the cross. And when he went to heaven, he did what he promised and he sent back the Holy Spirit. But here's the difference. Those judges, it says the Spirit came upon them. But what does the Bible tell us about the Spirit? It says the Spirit indwells us. That through Jesus, we have become the righteousness of God. So the Holy Spirit now indwells us. The Spirit would come on them for a time, but the Spirit of God indwells us. 
See, we should be people like those judges who are agents and ambassadors leading other people into the promise of Christ. We can be people who are agents and ambassadors of Jesus who point them to the one who brings deliverance and salvation. But we have to walk in the power of the Spirit. It's not something we can do on our own. But how much more effective should we who are indwelled as believers in Christ with the Holy Spirit, how much more effective should we be than those whom the Spirit just came upon for an occasion? See, we have the ability to take ground for the kingdom. You've been planted in your workplace, in your home, in your school, in your class, in your sorority, in your fraternity, whatever it is, you've been planted to take spiritual ground for the kingdom. You can lead people to the deliverer, to the, to the, the one who is anointed, who has the power to save. You can do that, not in your own strength, but in his. The key to this is, we walk in the Spirit. And God's Spirit empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own. But so many times we neglect that and we just continue to live life in our own strength. When we look at this, why, why did this happen with Israel? What was the cause of it? If you really go back and look at the, the, the first two chapters of Judges, even just the very first part of chapter 1, what it looks like on the surface is that the cause of this is partial obedience. Partial obedience. What do I mean by that? If, you, if you've got children, here's partial obedience. You tell your child, go clean your room. And they say, I will. But not like I will right now. Like I will later. Anybody else ever have that happen? I will. No, like, go do it now. No, no, I will. And maybe they do go clean it, but it's really partial obedience. And don't think, I don't want to get away. My head's like, go. But it's really partial obedience. That's one example, but there are a lot of other examples of what partial obedience look like. It looks like just living in this religiosity. It's going to church, reading the Bible, worshiping, doing all the Christian stuff, but your heart and mind are not engaged. You're doing the stuff, but your heart's not in it. It's pouring into your own relationship with God, but not loving your wife as Christ loves the church or leading your family. It's doing the Christian things, but being unwilling to deal with the sin in your life. It's focusing on your relationship with God, but having nothing to do with the mission of God. It looks like legalism. It's this thought that I'm going to make myself righteous. I don't need the power of God. I don't need grace. I can do this as if Jesus died for nothing. It's saying this, that I'm going to do it right so I can look down on those who get it wrong. It's wanting God's grace for yourself, for me, but not being willing to offer it to others. It can also look like doing just enough. Example of this, when I was in student ministry, this is the question, you know, you got a guy and a girl that start dating. And this is the question that was, I knew it, but this was the question that I was going to be asked. So, how far is too far? 
Like, wrong question, right? But isn't that our tendency? Our tendency is, I want to be able to do just enough to be okay. I want to toe the line. I want to push it as far as I can and leave no boundaries, no margin in life. And so we do just enough. We hope that by doing just enough that, that somehow our life will go well. And so listen, this is, this is really important for you to think about. Jesus becomes more like a lucky rabbit's foot than he does the Savior and Lord of the world. Because if I do this, maybe this will go well. It looks like when you try to put off the right image so that you can be praised by man. I want to look good. I want to look right. I want to look holy so that people will lift me up. It's wanting to be put in a position of power because I've done just enough. God will put me in this position so that I can be served by man. It's wanting God to grow your business so you do just enough that your business would begin to grow so you can be admired by man. You want to increase your wealth and you do just enough that maybe God will increase my wealth so I can live better than other men. I'm going to do just enough to feel secure in, in, in who I am. And Lord, for, you know, God forbid if I die and I, I had to go to heaven, that, that I'll be able to get there. And so we want to escape, do just enough to escape fear. And if any of that describes you and your, the way you relate to God, then I would encourage you to, to take a step back and look at that. Because what it means is you're not worshiping him, you're still worshiping yourself. If those things are true of me, then the truth is I'm not worshiping him. I have not given my life as a living sacrifice. I have not done that. I'm still looking to be worshiped. I'm still worshiping myself. And in that, I want you to understand, you can do things in your strength and it looks like a victory. Partial obedience can lead you to this partial victory. We see this with the Israelites, don't we, in Judges chapter 1. But immediately, Judah's supposed to go up, let's grab Simeon. And it made sense, right? It made sense because um, Simeon was their brother. Literally, the, the 12 tribes were from one father, but they had different mothers. And Simeon was Judah's brother from the same mother. And so when you look at it, it made sense. Let's get our real brother, our, 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 our blood, the one from the same mother. Let's get them to go. They were also going to inhabit the same area. So it made sense. You help us, we'll help you. But it's not what God says. And when they go on down, they don't drive out all the people. The Benjamites, they don't drive out all the people. If you keep reading, Manasseh, one of the tribes of Joseph, don't drive out all the people. Ephraim doesn't drive out all the people. And, but they see a partial victory. But they didn't do what God says. And what happened is they saw a partial victory. But listen, this is important, guys. A partial victory leaves you in a place of vulnerability. When we have partial obedience and we don't do what God tells us to do, ultimately what it can lead to is this partial victory. We still feel pretty good about it. But it leaves us in a place where we are vulnerable. What happened? They didn't do everything that God told them to do. And it left them in a vulnerable state. And what ended up happening? They fell. 
This is what I can tell you. And one of the things we say around here a lot is listen to God and do what he says. When God prompts you, let's go, let's do it. When you recognize something that the Lord puts his finger on, let's get rid of it. Or let's begin to do it. See, I feel like there's a lot of people in here who right now you know like God has been prompting you towards something. But we continue to kind of just push it down the road. Things aren't going awful, so I don't really want to address it. But understand this. You will put yourself in a place of vulnerability, just like the Israelites. Listen, married person, you keep flirting at the office. You keep staying late alone with one person. And you're going to fall. You keep putting yourself in a vulnerable position. You're going to fall. Let me tell you, Christian, teenager, college student, you keep putting yourself in a vulnerable position sexually, and you're going to fall. Listen, business owner, you keep putting yourself in a vulnerable position with the ethics of your business. You keep towing the line, pushing the line. Guess what? Eventually, you're going to fall. You keep putting yourself in a vulnerable position with God where you're not pressing in. You're going to eventually begin to drift. And guess what? You're going to fall. When we're in this place of vulnerability, you keep putting yourself there. If I keep putting myself there, we will fall. We see it in the Israelites. But we got to look a little deeper. Because the partial obedience on the surface seems to be what caused it. But that was just the action. What caused it were hearts and minds that were not surrendered to the Lord. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. If you look at Judges chapter 2, verse 10, remember, this is the second introduction. So in verse 10, we're really picking up almost like after verse 1 and when Joshua died. And it says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Here's the issue for them. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't know him. They didn't know him. I'm not talking about a mental and intellectual knowledge. What I'm talking about is do you know him? Have you experienced him? Have you tasted the goodness of God? I'm not talking about you know, this legalism. I'm not talking about religion. What I'm talking about is do you know him? And not just did you know him the day you got saved and you, you responded to the gospel, but have you known him? Are you walking with him? Are you experiencing him every day? Are you pressing into God to know him more? Because the issue here is they didn't know him. And that leads to something else. If we don't know him, we'll never surrender to him. If we don't know him, we'll never surrender to him. If our hearts and minds aren't surrendered to God, if they're still set on ourselves, set on the things of the world, 
do we walk in the power of God? If they're still set on myself, if they're still set on the things of the world, if, if I'm full of self, how can I be full of the Spirit? It is a spiritual impossibility. I can walk in the flesh, I can walk in the Spirit, but I cannot do both at the same time. See, these judges came under the power of the Spirit, and they were effective in the kingdom. If we want to be effective in the kingdom, we can't do it through our own strength. But when we walk in the Spirit of God, when we walk with Jesus, when we press into Him, we walk in the Spirit, we live in the Spirit, God can accomplish more through us than what we can ever imagine. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 Paul, writing to the churches in Colossae, he he tells them this. He says, set your heart on things above. He says, now that you've been raised to life, set your hearts on things above. He tells them in the second verse, he says, set your minds on things above. But when our minds are down here, our hearts are down here, and this is what really owns our hearts, We're not experiencing him. We don't know him. We'll never surrender to him. Understand this, that that when when you look at this, he's calling us to give him our heart. He's calling us to give him our mind. And I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again. Where you set your mind will determine your mindset. And God is giving you the ability. Where you set your mind will determine your mindset. But God has given us the ability through the power of his word to take every thought captive and to bring it into obedience of Christ. But you have to apply it. You have to take the scripture and you have to fight with it. You can't just give. We can't give. I can't just give into everything that comes along that feels good to my flesh. I have to surrender to the Lord. I know him. I'm walking with him so I can recognize the things that aren't pleasing to him. And my life begins to be surrendered to him. The more I know him, the more I'm experiencing him, the more I will be willing to surrender to him. Because when we talk about surrender, a lot of times it's a negative. When an army surrenders to another army, it's not a good thing. They're about to be taken captive. They've been defeated. But understand this, when we surrender to Jesus and we empty us ourselves of ourselves, and we surrender to Christ, we're surrendering to one who doesn't take us captive. He sets us free. He frees us from those things that oppress us. He is a deliverer of us. It doesn't mean you're not going to have hard days. It doesn't mean that, that, that you're not going to struggle at times. But I believe this, if we will continue every day of our life pressing into God and being as faithful as we can be, even in those hard, hard times, I believe this, Christians are like corks. There might be a circumstance that weighs you down and it pulls on you, but guess what? Eventually it's coming back up. And I believe that about believers. If we're pressing in, there's nothing that's going to crush us. Paul said this. And all the things he went through, he said, I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed. He said, all the horrific things we've been through. Listen, the Spirit has enabled me to endure. And when you know him, we can walk through these things. It's it's not easy. I shared that with you guys last week. It's not easy. But he delivers. 
When we know him, we become more willing to submit our hearts and our minds to him. When you think about submitting your mind to God, I think this is one of the biggest issues. See, to the Israelites, it made sense to them. It made sense to them. It, it, it was logical to ask Simeon to come with them. It was logical. It made sense. But one of the biggest traps for us is if we begin to lean on our own understanding. If we begin to make every decision logically and we don't leave room for God's guidance. Because the thing I can tell you is God's commands will often contradict human logic. And it makes sense because the world bombards us with thoughts and thought patterns that don't line up with God's word with his heart, with his mind. And so when we interpret what's coming out of circumstances, information, it can logically line up for us, but it doesn't mean that it's pleasing to God. And when we begin to lean on our own understanding and what God is telling us doesn't make sense and we begin to lean on our own understanding, what begins to happen to us is we begin to doubt God. Well, if my mind's telling me this, but God's word says this, or the Spirit's leading me to this, and it doesn't seem to match, then maybe I can't really trust him. We get to this place where we begin to doubt his sovereignty. We begin to doubt his, his goodness, his faithfulness. We begin to doubt these things. And understand this, if we begin to doubt that this is really what I should be doing, that this is really what's best for me, the next thing that's going to happen is we'll begin to rationalize why we should do the other thing. And we are good at rationalization. We are good at coming up with an excuse, a reason why doing what we know the Lord's not leading us to do is okay. Rationalization is convincing yourself that there's a good logical reason for your actions. And then rationalization will lead you into compromise. And you begin to compromise what you know is truth and what you know brings life. Compromise is just doing enough just to feel good about it, just, just to feel like it's okay. But when rationalization and compromise combine, they become like this salve to just soothe our conscience as we follow our own evil desires and not walking with God. But we don't have to live like that. God calls us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, guys, I, I know for me that, that this whole a week preparing the whole time I've been in here, um, walking around praying this week, even preaching through this message. There are things that in my life I need to surrender. That's true for everybody in here. But when you know the one you're surrendering to, and you know that he is good and he's faithful, he's sovereign, that we can trust him, then we can come and we can run to the Father, we can run to Jesus we can come and empty ourselves of ourselves so that we make room for more of the Spirit in us. We lay ourselves down. We do what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith. And we can begin to live that out. We can walk in that. 
But it's a moment-by-moment decision. It's a knowing that lasts. It's a knowing that, that, that happens in this moment and then the next moment. It's not month by month or week by week. It's not Sunday to Sunday. It's not day by day. It's literally moment by moment. Am I walking with the Lord or am I leaning into my own strength and my own understanding? My encouragement to you today is this. You've been called to live like a judge. You've been called to live like one who is an agent and ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who has come to point people to the one who can deliver. You've been given, if you are a Christian, the the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, so that you can take it into a dark world and you can share this hope with other people. And this can happen. You've been been given to to an area that you have been given responsibility to take for the kingdom. And if we surrender our lives to him and we listen to God and we do what he says and we walk in the power of the spirit, not in our flesh, God will do more than you could ever think or imagine. This room is full of people that God has done more than they ever could have thought or imagined. What God calls us to is simply to lay down our lives, to surrender. And when we know who we are surrendering to, it makes sense. When I've tasted that the Lord is good, I realize the best thing for me to do is live my life in a place of surrender. Don't settle for partial victory. Don't settle for accumulating some things. Don't settle for feeling good enough about stuff. God's called us to live in victory. And God desires us to lead others into that victory. But the key is that I'm walking with the Lord. I'm walking in the power of the Spirit because in Him, I can accomplish all things. My first question to you today as we close is this. Do you know Him? Like, have you ever known Him? Not have you ever known about Him, not have you heard the the, the Sunday school stories, but do you know Jesus? If not, then he invites you to a relationship with himself. And maybe today you know that God is calling you to that relationship. For somebody in here, it is likely that God has been poking and prodding you to respond to him for a long time. And maybe this message is hitting you between the eyes because you've been resisting. And what I would tell you is surrender. the Holy Spirit is moving in you, surrender. I want to give you that opportunity. It's funny when we surrender, a lot of times, what's the sign of surrender? Put our hands up, right? 
Well, here's a chance for you. Maybe today is the day for you to surrender to Christ. Say yes to him as Savior, to submit to him as Lord, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. And to do that, I'm not going to ask you to raise both hands, but I would say this. If today's a day of salvation for you and you're giving your life over to Christ, accepting his righteousness in exchange for your unrighteousness, accepting his perfection in place of your sin, then what I want you to do, I want you to stick your hand in the air and say, today I'm surrendering to Jesus. I know I need him as my Lord, as my Savior. And right now, I'm saying yes to him. Second question, what's hindering you? What's keeping you from knowing, experiencing, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, effectiveness in the kingdom, effectiveness in your family, life and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit? Why not come lay that down today? See, I believe there's power in prayer. I believe the Bible teaches us this, that we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, a continual thing. But sometimes things begin to block us and we don't, we don't, we don't do that. What's God been prodding you to surrender, to let go, that the Spirit of God can have more room, take more control, empower, lead you, guide you, so that you would be part of his kingdom, filling the earth with the knowledge of his glory. I wanna pray, the band's gonna go into a song and even as I'm praying, if today you know you need to leave something here and you want people to pray for you to be filled again with the spirit of God, to be being filled with the spirit, you're emptying yourself of self and you're making room for the Spirit of God. We want to pray for you. Father, I thank you this morning um, that you would move people to come up here for prayer. That God, we would empty ourselves of ourselves, And that you would inhabit us, grow in us, Lord, grow in us, Lord. That we would leave all those things that are hindering behind and step into freedom simply through surrender. You poke and prod at our hearts. Move us towards you today, that we would run to you, God. We love you, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name.